Hello and welcome to the Tech and Trees podcast. Building a startup is hard. Building a startup in South Africa is harder. To help ease the pain and assist founders in their journey, accelerators are setting up shop all over the African continent. One of the most successful ones is the Launch Lab in Stellenbosch. What makes them unique is they are not jumping on the bandwagon of investing in African fintech. They say, we want to support founders who are solving real problems. Their impact focus has also led to the creation of their climate cohorts. To find out more about how they help climate tech startups, I talked to the director of climate, Duval van Ziel. He lets me in on how he changed from a career in finance to being an English teacher in Japan and subsequently turned into a climate enthusiast. We talk about what ventures are the hardest to build in climate tech in South Africa and he also makes some predictions about where climate tech will go in the coming years. Uh, one thing that I have to say in the end is Duval was in Cape Town when we recorded this interview and during our recording a fire broke out on the mountains surrounding the city and helicopters were flying in and out over the city to bring in water from the ocean. So you will hear the background noise but it should hopefully not be too bad. So enjoy. Hi, Deval. Thank you so much for taking the time. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm here in sunny Cape Town. And yeah, thanks for inviting me to the show. It's uh, taken a while to set this up. So pretty excited to get going. Yeah, exactly. Same here. Um, let's jump right in. Like, I have five quick questions to start with. And the first one is, what do you think of when I asked you about a valuable childhood memory of yours? So the first thing that comes to mind is probably just like Playing sports, I think that's the, I've always found like a lot of solace uh, playing sports. Being on my own, I'm a bit of an introvert. So I used to spend hours after school just like playing cricket against the wall, playing tennis against the wall. Um, so I remember that and like slowly but surely that's changed to like going out in nature and falling in love with nature. So, yeah. Wonderful. How do you complete the sentence Duval van Ziel is? Oh, that's an interesting one. I prefer for other people to to answer that question on my behalf, but I'd say probably a combination of my my hobbies and passion and what I do. So it's I'd say like a probably a climate enthusiast, business person that loves the outdoors, and hopefully a good husband. <laughs> what what is the most controversial idea you support? So I think uh, in today's modern world, probably being a Christian, I'd say like that's one of the controversial things and I mix that up with a bit of stoicism. So that's from a personal perspective and then from a business perspective, I'd say, which is very controversial given the position and my job is we shouldn't focus on growth at all costs and we should really consider what growth actually means. I love it. Um, next up, what activity should everyone make more time for? I think sleeping more. So I think sleeping should be the foundation. A lot of people hate that answer, but I think sleeping, exercise and getting out in nature and maybe long form reading. I think people have become quite lazy in their reading. Mm, not hustling at all costs and not cutting things short. Yeah, sounds exactly. good. Sounds good. And lastly, what is one thing that you consider to be overrated? Uh, maybe a nine to five job, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I like it. Um, okay, so for the actual questions now. Um, first off, you spent most of your career in finance. And so I'd be interested to hear, so what's the, the story that led you ultimately to joining the Launch Lab as the Director of Climate now? 
Yeah, so it's a, yeah, there's no short answer. It's a pretty long answer that led me to this point and also not like very planned. But I started my career at KPMG, uh, working in audit and advisory and pretty soon realized like most people do that it's not necessarily the most fulfilling job and structural issues and all of these type of things. And so I went into investment banking, which was an amazing learning school, tight deadlines, pretty horrible hours a lot of client engagements, and also like a great technical skill. So you learn about presentations, working with legal agreements, financial modeling, due diligence, and all of these things. And again, came to the realization that it's a pretty rigid, um, I'd say like a formula-driven type of business. And with investment banking, it's all about making money. And I started falling in love with the idea of startups and like these founders that's obsessed with solving problems rather than just making money. Um, and so I, even when I was still in investment banking, I started reading all the classic books around startups, started listening to all the podcasts and made the decision to, to leave that job. Um, did a little detour in Japan for a year and a half. I was teaching English to little seven-year-olds and singing the ABCs in, in uh, Kobe in Japan. And yeah, I came back to South Africa about three years ago, focused on getting working with startups. And for me as a finance professional, VC was like the natural type of progression. So I worked for a venture debt fund. And yeah, I was approached by LaunchLab to find out if I didn't want to join the team on a full-time basis. Originally not as the climate director. So I came in supporting all the companies across the portfolio and programs with like their financial modeling needs, strategic direction, helping them to figure out pricing. And Josh, our CEO, has been working in climate in Africa for the last eight years. And he's always had this dream of starting a climate-focused accelerator and investment program. And yeah, he asked me if I wanted to take it up. So my my journey into climate isn't like the, the classic one where I fell in love with climate and became a enthusiast early on, but just the data and everything since that point, it's it's the only thing that I want to work on now. Well, what makes you a climate enthusiast now then? Or what, what, what kind of got you into it? Because you said, okay, you were not one originally, but then Josh yeah. kind of carried this towards you. So what, what, yeah. what were the factors that... that Sparks. I think data. So I've always been obsessed. We've got this thing at our office where everyone gets a mug that basically sums up their personality and stuff like that with a bit of a tagline. And mine is just holding a cup that says, I wish this was a measuring cup. So for me, it's always about like measuring data. And the moment that you get into climate and you realize how serious the issue is and how urgent it is it almost feels like there's nothing else that anyone else should be doing i mean that's a bit of a that, that's a bit of a purist view but i mean there's so many things like we've got a we've got a minimum amount of time we need to cut emissions by 50 percent by 2030 we need to get to net zero by 2050 and if we don't start to look at these things now if people don't start studying climate related fields um, if the best people and the smartest minds aren't working in climate my fear is that it becomes something that's irreversible. So, I mean, I'm not saying it's the only issue in the world. Obviously, poverty and all of these things are important, but climate is the bedrock in which our world exists, right? So, like, if that gets broken, if that system gets broken, I think everything else um, will become more negative. Yeah, no, I agree with every thing you just said. Um, 
I always wonder a bit like when I told my parents, okay, I want to go study sustainability. I think they didn't yeah. understand really what I meant. And to this point, they still don't really understand what I do really. <laughs> yeah. um, so I wonder a bit like what, what was the reaction from your kind of personal vibe, be it like, be it like your, your family, yeah. your friend, whatever. Yeah, I think, well, when I started working in climate, like a lot of people had to explain what does it mean when I say like we invest or we work with climate tech companies, right? So most people think about renewables, but the moment that you start telling them about all the other type of interesting stuff around cultivated meat, around cooling systems, like all of these things, it becomes people actually get like super interested and like why did you decide to start working in this? I think probably my folks and stuff, the biggest shop was like going to Japan. So I don't think like working within, I mean, we still do a lot of like finance and business. So I think this was like pretty tame to some of the other stuff that I've done before. But yeah, it's actually, it's 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 a fun story to tell because people generally don't, if you're not in climate, people don't really know what climate tech is. So it's all usually a nice little intro discussion with people as well. What, what did they say? What did your folks say about going to Japan? They were just like, what the hell is this person doing? Like, we, we studied for seven years, became a chartered accountant, CFA, and then it's like, <clears throat> okay, we're heading to Japan. I, we had to tell my wife's parents exactly the same. So she's a clothing designer, and we just decided to to pack up and leave. So it was a bit of an interesting. I think they were concerned we're going to become like part-time teachers in Japan for the rest of our lives, which would have been an interesting an interesting story to tell, but we came yeah. back throwing all that education out the window <laughs> yeah um, exactly well you came back you came back um but as you as you were saying like a lot of people do not really have a like a picture an image in their mind when it comes to climate tech basically so I, I, i'm wondering a little bit like where's the conversation around climate at in in south africa like is it an issue in people's minds or what do you think like what's your perception of that I mean, obviously, there's awareness. So there is definitely awareness around the climate problem. But I'd say the if, if you start to get into what the conversation, where the conversation's at in the US, where the conversation is at in Europe, um, then South Africa's nowhere near that. And I think if South Africa's nowhere near that, I think the rest of Africa is probably even lagging behind. Um, and just if you think about South Africa as a country, I think we do close to 1% of all global greenhouse gas emissions and still a lot of things like climate doesn't enter the, enter the discussion. I mean, obviously stuff like in Cape Town specifically, um, restaurants that serve in vegan food and vegetarian food and all of these things are becoming top of mind. But I think in general, if you look at the entire population, probably still lagging way behind what Uh, where other countries are actually went through a climate school at the back end of last year um, a three-month climate school called terra.do i'm not sure if you've heard about the program absolutely recommend it to anyone that wants to understand the fundamentals of what is climate science all the way to the solutions and climate attribution all of these things and i was the only south african in our entire cohort um, the only african in the entire cohort and i mean most of the most of the people that joined were either american european and then a lot of people from india actually um, and a lot of the, the the people from india that joined got into climate, not necessarily because of climate, because of all the other issues that come with climate. So dirty air, um, waste, all of these things that's so closely linked to climate. So I'd say 
hopefully in the next five to 10 years, I do see that changing um, from a South African perspective. But yes, it's still still lagging behind. Yeah, but you, with your work at the Launch Lab, you're trying to change that, obviously. Um, so let's maybe get into that. Would you mind describing for me again on what's the Launch Lab basically, but then also what does climate mean for you at the Launch Lab? Like, how do you treat that topic? Yeah, so the Launch Lab is owned by the University of Stellenbosch, and we are Africa's top university-backed incubator and accelerator. And we do three things at the Launch Lab. So we do we run a co-working space um, where we do events, we do ecosystem building, all of these type of things. Then we also work with big corporates and with the university to install a different type of mindset and we call that innovation so ideas around design thinking ideas around business model canvassing all these tools that entrepreneurs use that big corporates can actually also use um, and then the last thing is what we call business building and that's the the pillar in which i specifically then then work yeah and regarding the whole climate arena let's put it this way yeah um how how Where, how do you see the Launch Lab's position in, in climate, basically? Like, what's your approach to the topic? Yeah, so then maybe digging into my role. So my role at the Launch Lab is the Climate Director. And really what the Climate Lab is, of which I am the Climate Director, is we are an early stage, basically, investment fund. Um, we fund off our own balance sheet. So the Launch Lab has been profitable for the last two or three years. And we're taking that money and investing it back into the companies that we work with. Um, specifically from a climate perspective, we focus on pre-seed and seed stage companies. And we fund these companies with cash and then also with sweat equity. So we've got a designated um, business building team and we work with companies for 12 months. So the first, months, uh, the first month that we work with them, We do a diagnostic and basically that process is really trying to identify what does the team look like, what does the market look like, and what does the current product suite look like. And through that, trying to identify blind spots and areas where we can add value, either as the launch lab as our designated team um, or then reaching out to experts or mentors to help these companies to grow. Um, within climate, we focus on food and agriculture. That's one of our focus areas, mobility and then energy. Um, so hopefully that gives you a little bit of a view as to how we see climate. Also, we are completely agnostic as to whether or not it's mitigation, um, adaptation or resilience. Uh, we look across the entire spectrum. Do, do you see any of the four verticals kind of standing out in terms of the, the attraction that, uh, that is being paid to the kind of vertical or like the number of ventures that are being active in that vertical? Yeah, so I mean, we've got we've got some some data on that. We do a full formal application process, and I'd say definitely energy. So, energy is a pretty wide concept as well. So, when we speak about energy, it's it's not just solar home systems. I think that's the first thing that comes to mind is like renewables and solar home systems, but it's also around your your other energy needs, right? Like cooking. Um, so, we've had a clean cook stove company in the past, which is now with the carbon markets and everything kicking into full swing has become a very much a, a darling industry of stuff that a lot of people are focusing on just because of the not just the climate impacts but also co-benefits 
And then other stuff, like we spoke to very a lot of interesting companies just around um, hydrothermal and all of these. Um, energy efficiency also falls into that. So I think just because it's such a broad field, um, there's a lot of interest. So I'd say more than 50% of the companies that we speak to probably focus in that energy field. And when we when we look at those ventures, where do you feel do most of these entrepreneurs like come from as in like what made them start these companies? You know, like is it that they faced the problem of load shedding in South Africa, for example, where like, okay, we want to solve yeah. that or did they research, a, did they have a research project at the university and want to monetize that now or commercialize it? Like what do you feel are the drivers for people to start those ventures? Yeah, so I mean, the ideal entrepreneur is somebody that's seen, obviously seen the problem or lived the problem before and then trying to come up with a solution for that. It's not always the case. So obviously, a lot of people go through university, they're in a sustainability program and like part of the program, they need to come up with an idea. So there's a lot of like ser searching, searching for a problem. Um, so we've seen a couple of those. We've seen, obviously, in South Africa, I don't know uh, the listeners, but South Africa has something called load shedding where we've got um, basically time-bound uh, electricity cutoffs. Uh, we've even got an app for that notifying you when you will not have electricity, which I think is a pretty neat solution. So obviously, in a South African um in a South African context, a lot of people are looking at how do you solve load shedding. So it's not necessarily trying to solve a climate issue. It's more ensuring that people have electricity. Um, so we've seen a lot of those. Um, and then I think generally in some of the other fields, we've had entrepreneurs in the past that potentially we've had an agri-tech company where one of the founders was a mechanical engineer and the other founder was a soil scientist. And I mean, that's a pretty great combination for coming up with interesting um, interesting solutions. I think the biggest problem what, that we've seen with companies coming out of the university is sometimes they have a research paper or a PhD that they've been working on. So they start with the solution and then that is their thing. And then they're looking for a problem for that solution, which makes for a very difficult business building process. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's our job as well. Yeah. Um When you look at the four verticals again, so agriculture, clean energy, mobility, and energy, yeah. um, which one do you feel is the hardest to execute on if you think about South Africa as a country? Like where, which of those verticals is the hardest to build a, like a successful company in? Yeah, so it's a great question. I think for us, it's probably all of them. So as Launch Lab, we did decide to focus on like these hard industries. If you look at, place like fintech in in africa and south africa it's a place that's received a lot of funding it's almost like blueprints now as to what the metrics are and like all of these things whereas the industries that we focus on are still like pretty opaque nascent um but i also don't want to sit on the line with this question um so i'd say probably food and agriculture and in food there's a lot of deep R&D, deep tech that goes into something like cultivated meat or alternative proteins, these type of businesses where you need a lot of capital. Um, so it's extremely difficult to get actually get a product to market. A lot of money needs to go into that process beforehand. 
I don't necessarily think Africa has an ecosystem for that as yet, um, the way that you would have in different places in Europe and America. So we've got a portfolio company now that's focused on cultivated meat and the accelerators that they've gone to in the past are like the big global accelerators, um, big idea ventures, like all of these type of... Um, so I'd, I'd say food from that perspective. And then agriculture is always hard. So with agriculture, you do end up a lot of the times having IoT devices. You've got very tight um, purchase windows. So there's like once a year when a farmer makes a decision whether or not to buy your product. People don't make that decision every year. So there's this small little window. And if you miss that window, you can't sell. Um, so agriculture is very tricky in that way. And also like farmers are very 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 difficult clients um like you don't get it wrong like the moment that you make a mistake when you um, implement a solution for a farmer they'll tell everyone about it so i think those a lot of those factors play into why food and agriculture is extremely difficult yeah yeah maybe let's let's reverse that question then again um which of those sectors or verticals are south african entrepreneurs or african entrepreneurs best suited to execute on like where are certain advantages in terms of how people are brought yeah. up or how the economy is structured that really give you inherent advantage? So I think definitely something like um, like solar. I think if you look at our universities, um, Stellenbosch University, for instance, has an amazing electrical engineering faculty. Um, we were actually just speaking to them last week and they've got an electric mobility task force. So you've got these amazing students that's been working on um, doing retrofits to, to vehicles. So I think from that perspective, we've got that strong engineering component. Um, South Africa has historically had great engineers um, that work. I mean, ASCOM, obviously now there's a lot of ESCOM is our national electricity provider. And back in the heyday, ESCOM used to be the place where all the engineers wanted to go and work. So like there's always been a big focus, strong engineers in South Africa. Um, so I think energy and mobility is probably two two of the industries that hopefully we see great entrepreneurs coming out of in the in the next couple of years. Yeah, um, I imagine that like when you work, you work with a quite variety of firms overall. To what extent do you like emotionally participate in their like successes, but also their losses? Yeah, I mean. All the time, I think, because we also, the, the way that our program is set up to be able to work with companies for 12 months is really we're trying to move away from a standardized program where people come in, they do a pitch deck, you show them what the data room looks like, and then you send them on their way. Because I think that's very programmatic, very standardized. Very sterile. Yeah, exactly. And we, we try and walk that journey with these companies for a 12-month period. So inevitably... There's a vested interest. We also invest into these companies. So, I mean, a big part of our job, I was speaking to an entrepreneur yesterday, is also just being a sounding board, right? Like if there's a difficult situation, also just having somebody to speak to. Um, we're also looking at different things in our programs where we allocate um, CEO coaches to our, um, to our founders to say, how do you balance being an entrepreneur with still having like a healthy lifestyle? Um, all of these things. We've had situations in the past where there's very strenuous type of founder, co-founder dynamics where the two co-founders aren't speaking to each other because of something that happened in the business. So I think it's a great question around that emotional emotional support is 50% of the game probably. Like everyone comes to us for technical advice, but you also end up being that partner in the business. Do you have like a 
favorite story of yours where you were like emotionally really involved that was on the one hand like maybe a story about a loss but also a story about a win of yours can you sorry can you repeat that it just got out uh, yeah no no worries like i was just i was just wondering like if there if you had a story about like let's say a loss or and a win as well basically where you were like emotionally involved in like the journey of the entrepreneur yeah so i think a win uh, if If I look at a company last year, uh, we were basically working for a year to get an equity investment for the company. We had gone through various different stages of bouncing the idea around, should it be VC funded? Should it not be VC funded? Then they were running out of money. They got, in the last minute, they got some debt bridging finance that came through. And then at the end of the year, we actually, um, through great relationships that they had built, they finally got a strategic investor in there. And now I was on the phone with the one co-founder last week, and it's just amazing to see how that strategic relationship is now developing, how they're planning their next three years, which is for a year long, it was just like, where's the next month's revenues coming from? And now all of a sudden, there's a strategic partner, there's certain KPIs, they're getting experts in. So it's just great to see that hustle and like focusing on runway to to now being strategic and, and seeing where the business can go. So I think that was a great success or a great win last year and having walked that journey for over a year with them. It's actually my first client that I ever worked with when I joined the launch lab. Um, and then I'd say um, from a from a loss perspective and from a, let's say, being sad perspective, I mean, one of our companies last week, they had an exceptional um, opportunity to gain some big debt funding to really kickstart the, the process. And they fell down because of one small one small hurdle in respect of IP. Um, and it's these things where you, you build a lot of excitement, you know what this could mean to really get the company going. And it's like one small thing that wasn't tested, that doesn't fit the box um, where you fall down. So, yeah, I'd say that's, that's probably one that's just like fresh in the mind. There's hundreds of, uh, there's one, hundreds of all stories. Yeah. Yeah. And when you think about working with these companies, you've named now a lot of different ways that you support them and like how you work with them, right? Um, where would you say is the launch lab different from other accelerators across Africa? Like what, what do you feel makes you unique in the way you work with, uh, with founders? Yeah. So I, I'd say the, probably the, the way in which our program is set up. So some of the stuff that I, that I just discussed is we spent three or four months really doing our sourcing, speaking, uh, speaking to companies, doing our pipeline development, really getting a gauge for whether or not, These are the entrepreneurs that we want to work with. And once they join our program, we actually spend the first month just understanding what their key needs are. Um, so we don't put them into a program. We don't start speaking about go to market. We don't start looking at the, the data room or building financial models. The first month is really just trying to understand what the company, where they are now and where they could be going to in the next year. And then we tailor our advice and we tailor the type of services to that diagnostic. Um, and we feel that's a pretty new approach. Um, it's basically a, a mix between an accelerator and an, an early stage VC firm, to be honest. Um, during that process, the, the benefit of being in a cohort is still you get to share your experiences with other CEOs. You get to work uh, 
you get to hear um, what other people in other markets are doing, other industries, and get to learn from that. Again, like going back to emotional support. So just hearing that you're not the only CEO that's struggling. So I think that's also like what's different of just being an early stage VC firm and still having that cohort component. So I'd say it's a hybrid of being an early stage investor and then running an accelerator program. Yeah. And I'm just wondering right now, how many accelerators do you feel are there in Africa or South Africa that actually focus on, let's say, impact topics? So be it, for example, food, be it energy, but also maybe economic empowerment topics. Um, is this impact perspective something that is like getting more popular or not really? Because, I mean, it's like it has been all the... Um, like, I mean, these kind of VC firms or accelerators have been popping up like mushrooms all over Europe and the US right yeah. now over the past years, right? Like, so I wondered, okay, well, like, are you kind of leading the wave maybe right now in South Africa? South Africa or what's the, what's the yeah. general like market sentiment maybe? I think in, in climate, so I think specific, in climate, definitely. I'd say from our perspective, there's a couple of early stage investors in the rest of Africa that's focused on climate. But in a, from a South African perspective, there aren't really any of them. Um, so I'd say probably, yes, from a, from a climate perspective, we, we leading, I think on social topics, I'm not too sure. Um, but most of the accelerators, the big brand names aren't necessarily focused on, on any of those specific issues. I mean, job creation is always a very easy link. Like the moment that you have startups that you are growing companies, there's going to yep. be job creation. So I think a lot of people will punt that idea. Um, but from a climate perspective in the field that we focus on, we don't really see anyone else doing something similar. So there's a company called the Yellow in the east of South Africa that's focused on mobility. So that's, that's potentially one. And then Green Cape has a program that they run called the Climate Finance Accelerator, um, where they provide certain services to climate-focused companies. But again, they don't make investment into these companies. So I think all of those things probably differentiates us in the South African market. Yeah. Uh, so, you, so you're probably like among the first firms kind of kickstarting that sort of climate ecosystem maybe. And like I'm, I'm, my view tends to be that they're always like one, a few like Kickstarters or like successful firms that like inspire other people to get into a certain ecosystem because they've shown that it's sort of possible to be successful yeah. in a certain sector. Do you think there are such firms in the climate sector on the African continent that inspire other founders to go into that space? Yeah, so I think maybe from an investment perspective, one of the first energy investors, um, renewable energies and specifically focus on that was Persistent. So persistent definitely inspired, I think, a lot of what we now see as climate investors in the African landscape. Um, so that's a, let's say, a venture investment firm. And then if you're looking at, let's say, climate or clean tech type of companies, I think if you start to look at the off-grid sector in Africa, those are probably the biggest, biggest companies. So companies like B-Box, um, M-Copa, uh, Roughly speaking, what do these companies do? Like the, so a lot, the a lot of solar home systems. Yeah. So a lot of solar home systems. And the reason why it's off-grid is, uh, I mean, it's it's providing a lot of this. There's no centralized grid, right? So a lot of these communities are living away from a grid. So to be able to offer them a form of lighting, cooking, um, 
all of those things has been probably the big inspiring companies in in Africa. And now we do think there'll be a new wave of mobility companies, agriculture companies, but those are still pretty nascent. So I'd be hesitant to say any of those are inspiring at this moment, but hopefully in the future, um, hopefully even some of our portfolio companies will be those brand names in the future. Where, where do your portfolio companies come from actually like are they mainly south african but but i think you because you, i think you accept like companies from all over right like yeah. applications are accepted from everywhere yeah so it's a 50 50 split if i look at our previous portfolio and our current portfolio now um so two of our companies now south african based and we've got one company from tanzania and one company from kenya um, in our Climate Lab 2.0 cohort. Um, yeah. And then in our first cohort, we had two companies from South Africa again, one Kenyan company, and then a company that operates across various different East Africa. So yeah, it's it's a mix between East Africa and South Africa and probably 50-50 split. Yeah. Are there like, are those maybe like two clusters that you would say like are kind of dominating in that sort of space? So is there like a cluster of let's say, accelerators and startups in, let's say, East Africa, be it like Tanzania or Kenya and then in the in South Africa again? Or like what, how, how can, I, can I imagine the, the landscape sort of? Yeah, so I think if, I think when we look at Kenya, Kenya is a probably a population of around 60 million. And then a lot of companies focus on that region. So you've got Rwanda, Uganda and Kenya, which I say is probably a cluster a lot of companies operate in between those different markets. Um, the other clusters are probably West Africa where we don't uh, operate and then North Africa. So I think obviously um, COP took place in Egypt. There's been, uh, there's accelerators in Morocco that's focused on climate. We haven't necessarily interacted with those ecosystems a lot, but in, in East Africa, there's a climate center um, in close to in, in Nairobi actually. Um, and we've had a company that's worked, um, that, that came through that program as well. And there's an association for mobility. So mobility in Kenya is really a massive, um, a, a massive industry. And you will see that with the amount of startups in the e-mobility space, now all of a sudden coming to the fore um, in, in those markets. Yeah. How, how easy is it to... I don't know, like, let's say cooperate or how easy is it to foster cooperation between the different clusters? Like I'm asking from a perspective of how easy is it for companies maybe to scale across different African economies? So I think for South African companies to scale into Africa is pretty difficult. The markets are very different. So the type of needs of a customer in South Africa is very different. So South Africa, you can even start to segment into different types of um into different types of demographics. Um, so a lot of the solutions that's being built from a South Africa perspective aren't necessarily scaling into the rest of Africa. I think it's much easier for a Kenyan company to scale into Uganda. Um, but again, if you go back to startup principles for us, I think a lot of companies want to exit their home country too early rather than really trying to get product market fit, trying to get traction in the home country, just trying to really figure out like what is the problem that you're solving? What is your value proposition? Because the moment that you actually start scaling into another country, 
there's just the, the amount of complexities increases, right? So there's different languages, different cultural nuances, different systems, different legal jurisdictions, setting up new company structures, bank accounts. So our advice to companies is don't scale into other countries too early. Usually when you've got a population of 60 million, there's a lot to do in that country before you need to scale out. Um, so that's actually the advice that we usually give to companies when they start saying like, you're going to scale into these four or five countries. Um, and then when they are ready to scale, I think what we can, as, as Launch Lab, for instance, what we can help with is introduce them to people that's done that before, right? So one of our companies did a market expansion exercise with us where we went and looked at different countries, the populations, um, the similarities to the current home market. Are there similarities? Should they be going to Africa or should they be going to Europe? So like those type of exercises with people that's done it before. Um, and yeah, I think the, yeah, I think those are the type of things that you can help these companies with. A different way of helping them is if you've got a cohort of companies from South Africa, Kenya and Tanzania, you can also start learning about the companies can start sharing those learnings, right? So what does Kenya look like? What does Uganda look like from the perspective of a local? So you're not going in blind um, and you can get introduced to key service providers in those areas and also understand the risk and the complexities of entering that market. I'm wondering right now, and maybe you can give me a better like perspective on this like you, you've been to europe um i've and you've been to different countries there i've only been to to south africa so i don't know much about like cultural differences in on between different um african countries so if a company let's say goes from germany to the netherlands and if a company goes from south africa to kenya yeah To what degree is that maybe comparable, but to what degree is it also more difficult to maybe rescale in the uh, scale internationally in the African environment? Yeah, so I think going from from Germany to the Netherlands and going from South Africa to let's say Kenya is way more difficult, or even going from South Africa to Ethiopia is there's there's a massive divide between the the type of cultures there, the way of doing business. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you can just look at the amount of case studies, not even from a startup perspective of South African companies that have tried to scale into Africa and that have had horrible experiences um, because it's just like the rule of law is different. Um, there's, I mean, in, in Africa in certain places like South Africa as well, corruption is rife. So you need to understand all of these things. How do you work with governments to enter like a specific um, country? A lot of these clean tech companies, there is a component of working with government as well. Um, so I'd say, yeah, there's a there's a lot of intricacies. Um, it's probably way more difficult than just like going from Germany to, to the Netherlands. Yeah. Yeah, as you have illustrated now, like I feel okay, building a startup in Europe is hard maybe, but in Africa, it's like infinitely harder simply because like of the economy, economy structure, but also because of cultural differences, because of less like economic and legal harmonization and so on. Um, so I, I maybe I'm, I'm interested. So if you look at all the founders that you're working with, like what are the qualities that all these founders maybe share that make them like persevere in a more difficult environment? If that makes sense. Yeah, so I think the first one there is like you hit the nail on the head, so perseverance and resilience. And I mean, there's this fantastic book called Anti-Fragile, which I think is a great quality for a founder to have. It's this idea of being able to adapt because it's probably not going to go. And I think this is probably too 
across all entrepreneurial systems, not just Africa. Um, I think a key trait of any CEO is being able to adapt and problem solving and all of these things. Um, I think what differentiates companies in the African context is storytelling as well. So I think Americans are great storytellers, visionaries, being able to tell that big story, especially if African companies are trying to raise from European and uh, US investors. You need to be able to tell the story. You need to be able to sell the vision. It's not just about like the traction in the last three months or four months. There needs to be this bigger story. Whether or not that is around your impact, your market size, I think great entrepreneurs and great CEOs can tell that story and get people to buy into that. And you can see that through the investors that they attract, the employees that they are able to convince. The moment that you've got a startup CEO that's able to get employees from big corporates to leave their jobs, take a 70 or 80% pay cut, that's the type of entrepreneur and CEO that you that you are looking for. Um, I'd say those for me are two key qualities. And then again, going back to that principle of earlier, like just having a passion for the problem um, because it ties into that resilience and perseverance. Like if you're not passionate about the problem, the moment that it gets hard, you're just not going to build the business anymore. But if you believe so strongly in that problem, you're going to find different ways and different solutions, different products to keep on tackling that that problem. Yeah, yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I would like to come to my finishing question sort of before I come to my yeah. outro questions. And I, I would just like to circle back to your different investment or activity verticals. Um, could you maybe make a prediction for each of them what's going to happen in that field over the next like five to ten years okay yeah five to ten years is good um so i think in e-mobility i think that's going to be the darling for investors in the next five to ten years um we're seeing a lot of interesting companies but it's still very small so companies are rolling out and they've got 10 bikes on the road or 60 bikes on the road but amazing founders like really trying to nail what the value proposition is and hopefully by learning from others in like the off-grid space and these things these companies can scale to a thousand five thousand ten thousand bikes and the moment that that starts happening i think you'll start getting the bigger investors involved you'll see a lot of series a series b capital raises which at the moment is still few and far between in, in that industry in food and agriculture Oh, it's difficult to, to, to make a prediction there, but I, I think Precision Ag will start to infiltrate that entire sector. So if we just think about um, ag tech as a whole, um, so we're seeing a lot of interesting companies working with uh, satellite technologies, um, getting people on the ground. So I think data will become extremely important there and the value won't be... The amount of data that you can get out of small farmers in Africa is phenomenal. So South Africa versus um, the rest of Africa. In South Africa, we've got big commercial farmers. And then the rest of Africa, we've got small older farmers, let's say two to eight hectares. And you, we've got a company now that's doing like, a, that it's got eight to 10,000 clients. The moment that you start getting all that data together, I'm just more curious than anything else what this starts to look like in the next five to ten years. So hesitant to make a prediction there. And I'd love to see regenerative agriculture becoming a main a mainstay as well. So maybe those are my two things. And then in energy, I think that's the most mature at the moment. So I think in the next five to ten years, we probably start seeing exits in, in, in that space. Um, that would be amazing because I think... 
that'll get a lot of VCs to start entering the market, to put more capital in Series B, Series C, the moment that you start seeing exits, which Africa is lacking. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much. Um, now to just like round it off, I have some shorter questions again, just like in the beginning. Um, first one is like, what kind of advice would you give your 20-year-old self now? Yo. So if I knew about the principle of Ikigai, so it's a Japanese principle that's about life and value and worth. And it's anyone that's listening to this, go and Google it. But it's this Venn diagram of like four different things coming together of like, what are you good at? What are you, what do you love and what are you passionate about? What can you get paid for and what does the world need? And I think my conclusion there is like, I'd love everyone to go and work in, in climate. So yeah, if I was to go back, I'd say go and work in climate well and become an engineer or something. <laughs> Classic business person advice, don't do business. Go, yeah. go for engineering. <laughs> <laughs> um, what gives you hope that we're looking at a bright future? Yeah, so I think maybe something like COVID. So the how quickly, I mean, the moment that COVID did, everyone said like it takes nine years to get to a vaccine and it, like all of these things. And the, the way, the space at what uh, that we were able to solve that issue, I think it just shows how quickly people can react to a problem. My biggest concern is that climate builds very slowly. Like people don't feel it as immediately as they felt COVID. Like you're not being locked, locked up in your house. Um, but the moment that you've got all of these intense weather events, uh, you see farmers struggling with droughts, I think that will become a realization. So I'm just hoping that the same type of urgency will, um, will, 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 enter, the, will enter the fray. Um, and yeah, just the, amount, the entrepreneurs that I work with every day, um, the podcasts that I listen to, smart people joining the climate crisis, um, that gives me hope. Um, yeah. Yeah. And what is one thing that you would like people to remember from our conversation? So I think being intentional. So like, yeah, I think being, being intentional, trying to figure out like the key issues. And I think maybe that's the one thing. And the second one is just go out and enjoy nature, to be honest. I think for me, it's easy to speak about all the negative things I love about climate and like all of these war these horrible stories and what's happening, but just go out and enjoy nature because I think the moment that you do that, the moment that you see a beautiful sunset, the moment that you go free diving, all of these things, like you get respect for nature. And the moment that you've got that, you're not going to throw your piece of paper on the ground. Um, and I think change comes from individuals so i said i'll say get out in nature and see see what's out there okay thank you so much and last but not least like can you name one thing be it a resource a book a person that you personally draw inspiration from yo one okay i'm gonna give <laughs> i just read this past holiday i read let my people go surfing so it's the book uh, about Patagonia. So I'd say if anyone wants to go and read a phenomenal book about how you can do, how business can be used for doing good, go and read that book. The founder, Yvonne Chenard, was a rock climber. So I don't want to give too much away, but everyone, a lot of people, I think everyone listening to this knows Patagonia, but that book is phenomenal. And then if you want to read a novel, there's a book called Ministry of the Future. So it's a little bit dystopian, but I do get inspired by like some of these bad stories. And it's just like, It shows what the world could look like in the next 10 years if we don't make the necessary changes. 
And yeah, it's phenomenally well-written. I think a lot of ideas of that book, I can see people trying to come up with startup ideas, stuff around um, carbon-backed cryptocurrencies. Yeah, like all of those too. Yeah, all of that comes out of that book as well. So um, yeah, I'd say like those are probably two cool resources that I'd recommend. Yeah, I can only agree 100%. Like I think those two books that you recommend are probably among my top three climate yeah, books. That was my holiday read. reading. Yeah. yeah. So again, recency bias, but awesome books. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, Duval, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I love that we're ending the, the episode with those two books, two of my favorite okay. ones. Um, and yeah, other than that, uh, have a good day. And again, thank you so much for this. Yeah, awesome. And yeah. keep on doing this. I only did, like I said before we started the call, like I did a couple of podcasts. I see you on 29 or 30 now. So keep on going for it. It's amazing work. Yeah, I hope to keep going. Maybe you can help me. Okay, <laughs> bye-bye. Cool. Cheers, bye.